Welcome to Dream Deep. Stories from inside with Molly and Nikki. Together we share stories, interviews, and ideas about what it means to dream deep and live fully. I'm Molly, a mama to three, a wife and owner of a small business in Virginia, Molly Suzanne, a photography company recently expanding to do custom coloring books and acrylic paintings. I'm Nikki Weaver, an artist, a healer, mover, maker, mama to two, wife to one, and currently building work with incarcerated women and women on the outside through a nonprofit called On the Inside, living in Portland, Oregon. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Nikki, um, and I'm recording this podcast solo with Molly's permission. Um, thanks for joining me here today. Uh, I'm certain, I'm certain this is going to be the most listened to podcast. I'm prepping for that, which will be hilarious and probably true, right? Anytime I write about my COVID experience or talk about it or share it, especially on social media, it becomes the most followed, most um, commented on piece of my story that I've shared recently. So anyway, um, just think about that for yourself. I found it really interesting to think about. And is it that we are all living with a great fear of COVID? Is it our curiosity is piqued by knowing someone that has COVID? Um, Or is it our own way to calm our fears? to, uh, I I think, sit with what might be uncomfortable and to also question, what if you had COVID? What would happen to you? What would you feel like? What would you do? Who would you call? And who would show up to support you? Um, This is the first time I've recorded or talked about my COVID experience in Morocco in a public way. Um, I've been home for about a week and I've spent most of this week spending time alone, spending time with friends, uh, but really wanting to spend time alone just to process what happened. Um, So I'll rewind here a little bit because I want to catch you all up uh, since I know it's something that so many of you are curious about and I can't tell myself how many times I'm going to be telling this story either out loud or writing it. So I'm investigating that uh, currently. Um, I went to Morocco with a dear friend of mine uh, at the beginning of August. When did we leave the country? It might have even been, let's see, yeah, very beginning of August. A dear friend of mine named Lori. It's a trip we'd been planning since uh, the beginning of the year. And really we knew it was high risk, right? To travel during a world pandemic to a developing country, Morocco, which is stunningly beautiful and is definitely a country I'll go back to. Um, Many of you that know me know that I love adventure. I love traveling alone as much as I love traveling with people. Um, So anyway, off we went to Morocco uh, and we arrived in Casablanca. And and I'm gonna tell less stories about our adventuring time to begin with. And I'll tell more about our COVID experience. And then I'll come back to the reasons that you should visit Morocco. So our trip started in Casablanca. 
we spent one night there. We traveled by train to Fez. We spent two nights there and met some of the most wonderful people. And then from Fez, we took a car up to Chefchaouen, a city called the Blue City up in the mountains, right borders the Rift Mountains, a city that I'd always wanted to see. And then from Chefchaouen, we took a car up to Tangier, the northern tip of Morocco that lines the ocean and uh, mostly the Atlantic Ocean, but also a smaller ocean that's connected to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and you can look across to Spain and uh, there's often ferries, but not currently during COVID. And then from Tangier, we took a bullet train down to Rabat, the capital of Morocco. And then from Rabat, we took um, another car back to Casablanca where we ended up spending um, a lot of extra time <laughs> due to COVID. So here it is, my COVID story. Um, I've been tested a whole bunch in the last couple months as I've been traveling. Some of you follow me on social media and know this. So I've been in Greece and I've been in New York and I've been in Kenya. And as I've traveled to each of these places, each country, some of you are following closely on um, online or different airlines or country uh, border crossings. Each country requires a different COVID or PCR test. And so really, um, it's a lot of extra work, uh, rightfully so, right? To be tested, to make sure you're vaccinated, to have the correct documents, to enter and exit. Temperature is taken um, in and out of hotels, in and out of airports. Um, so as we flew into Morocco, I had a PCR test totally negative um, that I took in the United States. The next time I was tested was, um, uh, let's see, in Rabat, uh, a day or two before our departure to back to the United States. And what happened was, as Lori and I got to the airport, our PCR results had not come through, which has been typical in a lot of countries I've traveled. They often promise a 24 to 32 hour return. And in a lot of countries, you actually don't get them within that time period. And then sometimes you do, and if you do, you have to then again look at the airline or the country crossing to make sure you're within a 72-hour time frame to be able to enter into that country that you're traveling to. Um, so <laughs> we didn't have our PCR test, so we were bumped off that flight. This was, um, let's see, last Monday, if I'm correct. Let's see. You're either listening to this in the present or you'll be listening to this in the future. So this was, uh, let's see, Monday, I think um, August 9th, we were supposed to fly home. Um, and so we were bumped off the flight with the understanding that we needed to have a PCR test in our hands, not awaiting one to board on a flight. That day when we checked into another hotel and explained to them that we were still waiting our PCR test, the front desk sort of laughed at us and said, oh, well, if you haven't gotten them and you did them two days ago, you'll never get them. So you should definitely get another test. So wasted money, wasted time. We got on a cab and we went to a female clinic. And again, if you know Morocco or know anything about it, it's a primarily Arabic speaking country with some French, um, mostly French and Arabic are the two languages. And many of the people speak some parts of English. 
um, and, and not just Arabic and French, but Spanish and sometimes German, but mostly for, for myself, it speaks tiny bits of French and not no Spanish and no Arabic. Uh, a lot of the traveling as a woman, especially with another female white woman, um, the language barrier was something that I butted up against repeatedly. So we went to uh, an all-female clinic um, and were tested and they said we would have test results within six hours. And what the testing looks like is usually the nasal swab down one nostril or both. Um, we went back to the hotel. This was, you know, five or six in the afternoon. Sitting at the hotel, we ordered some food. Um, Muslim country, so we hadn't had anything to drink alcoholic-wise for the whole week that that hotel happened to sell wine we thought let's get a glass of wine we purchased a, a small half bottle of wine and while we were sitting down to eat one of the servers came over and said excuse me ma'am can one of you come to the front desk immediately uh, we have your results and so Lori uh, my dearest friend started saying yay we're gonna go home tomorrow wonderful and I said I'll go get the results you sit you know you're eating you're having a drink let me go get them and I went up to the front desk and the man looked at me very sort of um quietly and, and sort of came away from the front desk where other guests were and other hotel staff and sort of asked me if I was Miss Murray which is my middle name and, and lots of people there were using my middle name to talk to me and I said oh yes I am uh and he said, I, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you are, you are positive. And he handed me uh, my results. In a lot of the clinics we went to, what was interesting is that they ask you where you're staying. And then rather than sending the results to you first, they send them to the hotel. And I assume that's so that the hotel can basically ask you to leave, can kick you out if you test positive because you're unsafe for other guests to be around. So basically the hotel had received my results and Lori's results before we had received them, which was when you test positive anywhere, but particularly in a foreign country, what came up for me was immediate shame, embarrassment, disbelief, shock. I was stunned. Um, and if you know me, you know that I'm deeply rooted in my emotional life, but also, um, I have a lot of trauma from my past and from my childhood. And so standing in front of a stranger being told that you're positive in broken English um, was pretty terrifying. <laughs> and then I had to carry my results and, and Lori's results out. And I really don't remember what I said to him besides, oh my God, really? Okay, I guess I, I guess I have to talk to my friend and we'll figure out what to do. And as I walked out into the garden where we were sitting having dinner, um, Lori was smiling and she had a glass of wine in her hand and she was like, yay, we're going home tomorrow. And I don't know what I looked like, but I know what I felt like. And I very quietly walked over and whispered in her ear, you can go home tomorrow, but I, I don't think I can. I'm, I'm positive. Uh, and her whole body and energy changed, my whole body and energy changed. Um, there were people sitting right near us, also eating and drinking and enjoying their night. And I said to Lori, I said, I'm, I'm trying to not react right now. Um, I'm trying to hold it all together. So I'm, I'm gonna just take myself back up to our room. I think they're giving you another room. I, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. 
Um, it's so interesting talking about this aloud because really as I'm talking about it, of course I'm processing it and I'm unpacking it myself. So I walked up to our room um, and that's when the tears just started to fall. The tears, the shame, the embarrassment. Why did I travel to another country during a worldwide pandemic? What kind of fool am I? How embarrassing? And just for all of you listening, I am fully vaccinated and I'm one of the healthiest people I know. Um, I eat well, I run, I exercise, I drink a lot of water. I'm, I haven't uh, been sick in years. So anyway, it, all the things started to come up for myself of like, of course, this would happen to me. I'm foolish. Uh, lots of blame, lots of shame. And thank goodness for Lori, who's a social worker, works in hospice care, and also an executive coach. And so between the two of us, both of us have a lot of grounding, a lot of mindfulness practices that we utilize in our work. Um, and so here was our chance, right, to really work on ourselves. Um, so within a quick span of time, uh, Lori was given another room. We were given lots of bottles of water. Um, basically, the hotel in Morocco currently, due to COVID, there's a curfew that is at 9 p.m., I think, to 6 a.m., where there's no driving um, or no moving about the country. Um, so basically the, the front desk said, you'll need to leave at 6 a.m. You need to go to the hospital. The hospital will decide how sick you are. And depending on how sick you are, you'll either be quarantined in a hospital or you'll be quarantined in a hotel. And there are certain hotels around the country that accept people that have COVID. We are not one of them. <laughs> um, so anyway, we stayed up most of that night in separate rooms, texting me canceling our flights, trying to talk to our family, trying to have our family help figure out where we were gonna stay. And then from there, uh, basically 6 a.m. the next day, we went to, uh, we thought we were going to the hospital. Excuse me, I'm having sips of coffee in between, sharing this story, staying grounded. <laughs> and we thought we were going to the hospital but really the taxi driver took us to a clinic. Again, I think the miscommunication and broken English was hard for all of us. And so we ended up in this clinic. Um, this, the guy at the clinic spoke a little bit more English and he looked at us and shook his head and said, no, 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 this is just where we do all the testing. You'll have to go to see a doctor. So he handed us a scrap of paper and wrote down a woman's name. And um, we went to see this doctor. And when we got to this clinic, it was closed. We sat outside on the street and at a little coffee stand next door for about two hours until her doors opened. And slowly more and more women and men showed up with x-rays, many of them hacking their lungs out. Many of them looked really sick. Uh, so when her doors finally opened, um, we were able to see her first. We were the first ones there. Again, at this point in time, I had no idea if I was seeing a doctor or if I was seeing a nurse really hard to tell when me, myself, I don't speak Arabic or, and I speak very minimal French. Um, so two women sitting behind a desk, one of them took me um, into the office and without any English basically looked at me and sort of pointed to my clothes as though she wanted me to take them off. Um, at this point, I would say, thank goodness that I had a mask on my face and everybody in the clinic was wearing a mask because I think I started to bite my lip and uh, clench my jaw. Um, and I kept thinking, maybe my mouth is hanging open. 
um, what is happening here? And she started filling out paperwork and eventually I turned around and um, uh, she asked me to get on the table and I laid on to this table half naked. Uh, I had my underpants on, but there was nothing on the table covering it. Um, and as I laid there, she began to strap my body down to the table. And it started with my left wrist and then my left ankle and then my right ankle and then my right wrist. Uh, and at this point, <laughs> I think that I might've stopped breathing. I definitely wasn't sure whether I felt safer closing my eyes or having my eyes open. And then slowly she started putting little suction cups across my chest and across my rib cage. Um, uh, and then later what I discovered was I think she was performing an EKG, testing my breathing response. She definitely tested my blood pressure. Um, uh, and there was very little eye contact and very little language at all spoken. And I think that's as soon as she understood that I didn't speak French or Arabic was sort of us figuring out through our bodies, how to be together, how to work together. Um, I don't know how long I was in the room or on the table, but I remember it being um, scary, um, uncomfortable, um, so, so vulnerable. Lori was outside in the lobby. And when I finally walked back out, the woman put my file, a big blue file on the counter and we sat back down. And I think we sat for maybe another two hours as more people came and went, more folders and files were loaded up onto the counter. And eventually the woman sitting next to us who was you know, hacking her lungs up, sort of turned to us and she said, ah, you got COVID? And I sort of smiled and said, um, yeah. Again, my own sense of still not wanting to believe I actually had COVID. And uh, she said, yeah, me too. It sucks, doesn't it? And uh, I said, well, I said, I, I'm, I think I'm not believing that I have it. And, and even now, those of you that are listening, I still am not sure. Was it a false positive? Did I actually have it? Could I have really been asymptomatic and carried it? Am I a carrier of it? Um, just so you know, since then I've tested negative over five times, both home tests and then tests that I've done through Kaiser, the hospital system here in the United States. Um, but there's nothing like being a carrier or being told you have COVID and watching the way people begin to treat you differently or ask you to leave hotels or step further back when you say that you might have picked up COVID in a foreign country. Mm. It's been a really interesting thing of watching how stigma of COVID plays out um, with people that I know, with family members, with friends, people that wanna give me advice unsolicited, mm. people that I see suddenly watching every story I post, people sending me messages or comments that I've never heard from in, uh, and then people that I've <laughs> rarely known or met reaching out with empathy and sympathy and kindness. And then a lot of people reaching out to with questions, um, which is one of the reasons I'm sharing this here. Uh, 
also so that I don't forget because I do think that COVID is something that a lot of us are navigating uh, personally, emotionally, psychologically, or asking ourselves, should we send our kids back to school? When is it okay to wear a mask and not wear a mask? Should I be inside with friends? Should I only be outside? Can I get on a plane? And each of us needs to make those decisions in a way that feels true to you. Yeah. I have friends that are vaccinated. I have friends that are not. I have friends that are questioning it. Um, and really I, I'm here because I wanna listen to all of the conversation without judgment. Um, and I'm sharing my personal experience here because it is what happened to me and what I know to be true. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Let it go. I think that's been a big part of my learning of how breath can support transition. True, right? And in the midst of being in Morocco and being told I have COVID and then learning to live with that, to find acceptance around it, breath and my friend Lori are the two things that got me through. And in the breath, like now I'm feeling emotional and that the breath can hold whatever emotional experience you're carrying. And believe me, I stood in many clinics, many gravel parking lots, awaiting testing with the tears flowing freely. <laughs> um, I, I think I'll, I'll say a little bit more. I mean, after that first visit, you know, that then I later that day went and had blood tests done. That was a whole nother experience of standing in a gravel parking lot for two and a half hours. Again, with many people that spoke Arabic and French, but not my tongue. Uh, walking to a women's clinic where they took two vials of my blood. And then I sat on a chair for an hour and a half watching other people have throat swabs and nasal swabs taken with no English. The security guard who came up to me and said in broken English, you are a baby. <laughs> to which I laughed and cried at the same time. And I said, you think I'm a baby? <laughs> well, I have two babies at home. <laughs> and cried some more thinking about my children who I wasn't going to get to see for longer and longer. I think one thing that's important for me to mention and share, um, I, I carry both Australian citizenship and American citizenship. Uh, and I think this is important to share because being a US citizen, one of the first things I did was I called the US Embassy, I emailed them. And, and for the record, the US Embassy in Morocco, if you ever hear this, you never picked up the phone. I called over 15 times from different clinics with tears and snot rolling down my face. And the US Embassy never, ever picked up the phone. Um, there was no message bank that I could leave a message on. I sent an email. I never, ever heard an email response back. Um, so, so disappointing when you think maybe, maybe this is where I'll get help um, from my country. Nope, nope, nope. Um, shocking. That was so shocking to me. But um, yeah, sometimes where you think you're going to find help is not where you end up finding it. And actually in the places where I least expected to find help, 
was where I found it. And, and I want to talk about those places in a, here. Um, Morocco is filled with some of the most wonderful people I've ever met. One of those people being a woman named Zineb. And Zineb, I hope you listen to this. You and your brother, full of such kindness, such openness in sharing your home, your city with us. When we were at the airport the first time, stuck and missing our flight, I called Zineb to see if she could help me um, translate in Arabic or French the clinic and, and be able to expedite our results or figure out if our results were ever coming. She was so quick to respond. And then since then we've stayed in touch through text and um, I, I am working to help her find her way to the United States to study. Um, if anybody needs some amazingly talented Moroccan women, I've met a bunch of them and I would love to find ways for them to seek study and work opportunities here in the United States or Australia. How about that, Australian friends or listeners? Um, number two uh, was uh, in terms of support and finding it in the places you least expect it was the women's clinic um, where I went with Lori twice. The first time they were the ones that told me I was positive. And then when I went back, Two days later, I tested negative. And again, it was the same women dressed in beautiful, immaculate white coats, white pants, all in their hijabs, um, mostly speaking um, French and Arabic, but they moved with such grace, such precision, such professionalism. And to walk into a clinic where women were the center of power and control and knowledge, um, was very moving to both myself and Lori. And I spent a lot of time breathing the first time I went in and then holding my breath the second time I went in since they were um, the, the people that, that knew and held the knowledge that I had tested positive in their clinic. I had walked in worrying if they would treat me differently, if they would put on extra masks, if they would step further away from me, if their eyes would grow bigger. And instead I was met with um, such kindness. The kindness of strangers is, uh, is something that keeps coming up for me when I think about COVID and my COVID experience in Morocco. Ah, breathe with me. It's such an interesting thing, isn't it? To learn or remember to breathe. Something we were born doing. And something we stop doing when we die. And yet the greatest moments in our lives require us to breathe, to take things in. And also to know when to release them. The last um, group of people or women, woman, I should say, that I want to name is Dr. Majida, who was the female doctor at the clinic that I went to. Um, hmm, let's see, the second clinic after the all-female clinic. She was the doctor that I ended up seeing or meeting actually through WhatsApp, the two women, the one woman that strapped me to the table. She was a nurse that worked for this doctor and this doctor for whatever reason was unavailable to come into our office that day. And so she, her nurses 
set up a phone on her big fancy desk and we all talked to her through WhatsApp, um, going in one at a time and having appointments, sessions with her. So through a WhatsApp video call. And she talked to me about symptoms that I might experience. Again, I have had and had no symptoms. Um, so it could have been a false positive, so hard to tell. But anyway, she walked me through all the symptoms that I might have, medications that I might wanna take, more testing that I might wanna do. And then basically gave me a cell phone number and said, at any point during the 24 hour period between now and when we see you next, you can call, you can text, you can send pictures, you can send any kind of test results to, to my phone number and myself and my um, assistant, Dr. Couture, will respond to you. And I've never had a doctor in Australia, in the United States, um, call me, text me, check in on me. And that um, evening at 9 p.m. at night, uh, as more tears were falling in my little hotel room and Lori was isolated in the hotel room next to me, the doctor called and talked to me about my blood test results and told me my blood work was fabulous and that I needed to rest and that I could go and get another PCR test in a few days. I went the next day because I said to Lori, I think until I test negative, I won't be able to relax. And so every day I'm going to walk to that all-female clinic. And that's exactly what we did. The next day we walked the five miles and spent most of that day walking. And let me tell you, once you've tested positive for COVID, when you go and take the next test and you have to wait any amount of time to get the results, um, I think I stopped breathing. I became almost fixated on, well, what happens if I test positive and what happens if I test negative? How much longer will we be staying here in Morocco? And the other person that I wanna say when I think about not just the kindness of strangers, but support showing up in the places that you might least expect it was in my friend, Lori. Um, Lori has been one of my dearest friends ever since moving to Portland and, and really dearest family friend, our husbands or cousins. But when she said that she would stay 10 extra days with me in Morocco because I had COVID, and I said, you don't need to, you have, you have family, you have friends. And, and really the idea of being alone was scary, but also the idea that she would stay 10 extra days, you know, on a, and for us to pay for 10 extra days of time being away. Um, yeah, it brought me to tears the first time she said, oh, no, no, no. She said, nothing in life is more important than being here for you, you know, right now. And throughout that COVID experience, the times when I would say to her, look, when I get overwhelmed, sometimes I just get emotional and I, I actually can't use language and talk about having a social worker, hospice worker friend and executive leader and coach that can just drop into, I got it, I got it. Or when we would get kicked out of hotels um, or asked to leave. Uh, she was right there. She was right there. Um, so I hope you all find a friend that will drop their life for you when you are in need, 
when you are sick. My wish is that we keep together looking for the kindness in strangers. And really I share this story because COVID is, has been something that I've been afraid of. It's been something that maybe I have carried. It's been a journey to be told you have COVID in another country where you don't speak the languages. And as I put myself back together, I'm really interested in talking more about the stigma around COVID. And not just COVID, but it's something that I do in my work with on the inside of trauma, talking about trauma, not so much normalizing it, but breaking down the stigma that keeps us from talking about it. How it affects our mental health, our physical health, our relationships. And rather than hiding and living in a place of shame, I'm interested in stepping forward more openly and re really looking for understanding. So if you're vaccinated, awesome. If you're not vaccinated, I hope you keep asking the questions as to why, why not? If you're considering traveling, I think it's important to acknowledge that we take a risk every day, whether we're crossing the street, whether we're cooking something on our stove, whether we're getting on an airplane. So to really ask yourself, what are the risks you're willing to take? I took a lot of them by getting on a plane, traveling to a country where I don't speak the language with a friend during a worldwide pandemic. And if you have more questions, comments, things you wanna share, please, please, please reach out. You can find me on Instagram, Nikki Weaver, all one word. You can send me messages there. You can also send me an email, Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at ontheinside.space. And in the meantime, take good care of your people. Keep finding ways to breathe a little bit deeper. Much love.